The following is a message from Reverend Ken Belden of Wellsprings Congregation. Now, if you've been around here for a while, you probably know by this point, it'll be new to you if you are new today, that I like to use a lot of video clips in my teaching and in my preaching. And normally, I can provide some context. That today is impossible. Because the clip I'm going to show you is from the TV show Lost. How many of you are Lost fans? Okay. So you know that when I say this is a TV show about a group of castaways, survivors from an airplane wreck, and that's all I can tell all of you today, you know that that gets to like not even 1% of what's going on in that show. I'd have to set up, and indeed, maybe three, four years from now, when the show's finally concluded, I will do a 10 or 12 week message series on the meaning of lost. Now is not the time, because I'd probably prove to be entirely wrong about the mystery and the meaning and the magic of what's going on. So I'll just tell you this, that the scene you're going to see is based on two characters. Charlie, a struggling, almost former musician, who very early on in the series, the plane's gone down, and he is suffering from heroin withdrawal. He just has one bag left. And then there's John Locke, who's sort of this mysterious shaman, healer, devotee, guru. You can't quite get a handle on what he's doing. I will tell you what happens. This is the story. It's okay. It's okay. What happens is this. It's actually a dramatization of an old story that Nikos Kazantzakis tells. Kazantzakis, who was the author of Last Temptation of Christ and Zorba the Greek. He tells the story about walking through the forest one day and what he spies in the crook of a tree where the branch is coming off of the trunk is a beautiful, beautiful chrysalis, a cocoon. And he sees this cocoon and he sees that just coming through, just coming through the walls of the cocoon, this new life is struggling to be. And he can see the little creature, this butterfly almost, want to spread its arms and flap its wings and fly away. And Kazanzakis, thinking that he will help this new life come to be, he says, maybe it's a little cold. And he puts his hands around that chrysalis. And he blows on it. And it bursts open. And he's thinking, what a wonderful thing I've done. What an amazing thing I've done. I've brought this new life into this world problem, however, and you can see this almost immediately, is that the cocoon has opened prematurely. The chrysalis is not ready to hatch. And so this butterfly is not ready to be born. And it comes out of its cocoon and it falls on the ground. And within five minutes it is dead. That's part of what we're going to see today in Lost. It's part of what the scene is talking about that Charlie, who's struggling from his heroin withdrawal, says, please, Locke, just give me my stash back. (laughs) Just give it to me back. And what Locke tells him is about, actually, it's a moth cocoon that he shows him. And he says, you see the top? Do you see the top, that small hole? That's where eventually the moth will emerge and be whole. But you can't rush that. And he says, struggle is nature's way of strengthening the moth or the butterfly yet to be. 
The struggle is nature's way of strengthening what needs to be. This morning, in this message series I'm continuing with about new life in the new year, caterpillar to butterfly, talking about soul struggle, talking about the necessity of this kind of pain in our lives. And I want to be really, really clear at the outset. This kind of pain is very different from others. You have a person in your life or people in your life who are causing you pain or trying to cause you violence or you are suffering from chronic pain, disease, or illness, there's nothing redemptive in that. There's nothing redemptive in that kind of suffering that perhaps some traditions say, just suffer and you will become godlike, or just suffer and you will become Christ-like. That kind of theology, I think, is expressed, unfortunately, in just about any Mel Gibson movie. And I'm not talking about the passion. I mean, you go back to Lethal Weapon, all the way to the beginning of his career as a big action movie star, And the message in almost every Mel Gibson movie there is is that violence, suffering, and pain is always redemptive. That is such a damaging lesson and has locked so many souls, so many lives in unhealthy relationships, in unhealthy patterns. That's not what I'm talking about here today. Talking, though, about soul struggle, about the process by which, in the same way the caterpillar becomes the butterfly, or you move from one phase of life to a new phase of life, that's soul struggle. And it should be listened and honored to if you are really going to make your way between two states of being. In the soul struggle, when you can find your way out of the chrysalis and into new life, that is when new life is arising from within you. Now this way into new life is not easy. Like John Locke says, The struggle is nature's way of strengthening us. The thing is, we all know this already. We know it in our bones. We know it from our birth. That there is no true, new, wonderful creation without any struggle, without any strife, without even sometimes some pain. It's why they call birth labor. It's why there is work associated with it. Tears and cries and shouts and grunting and pushing and the kind of thing I'll never know as man. But still, there is work and labor and pain and struggle involved in the creation of this new and beautiful thing. I had a friend from college whose dad was a crusty, real old crusty sort of guy. And he used to say, he used to tell him, well, okay, I'll write another of your semester's tuition checks. It's a little game they used to play. And before he sent him back to school, he would say, Jeff, Jeff, remember, you're going to leave this house one day the same way you came into it, naked and poor. (laughs) Now, Jeff is doing just fine these days. He's not naked and he's not poor, not at all. But you know what? That's probably why we want to hide from that feeling that really is in our bones and from our birth, that all new life comes with growing pains. But we like to protect ourselves from this, especially as adults. And especially in our world where we have so many modern entitlements. And look at what just happened. The technology didn't work. And nine out of ten times it does. We expect things to work. We expect things to go our way. So much of our lives, especially in a place like Chester County, is organized so that we can have it quicker, faster, better, and stronger. Advances in technology, however, are not necessarily advances in the realm of the spirit. The spiritual realm is timeless and doesn't advance so easily. And so our struggles, in many ways, when we're given birth to that new life within ourselves, it's not that different, even if we use different words from what happened a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago or on beyond that. This Tuesday is the birthday of Martin Luther King, Jr. 
And he knew in his prophetic role as our greatest American prophet, he knew the struggles and the joys of calling forth new life. And one of my favorite quotes of his is this. He said, human salvation lies in the hands of the creatively maladjusted. Human salvation lies in the hands of the creatively maladjusted. And what he said is this, and he was calling America to reckon with its conscience. He said, you know what, there's a lot in this country, back then and still even now, that requires us to be maladjusted to it. Don't just accept human suffering, especially the kind that we cause. Just don't accept oppression. Just don't accept injustice. This kind of call is supposed to make us uncomfortable. Because out of that call comes new life. Out of that call for reconciliation and being one people, paying attention to the pain that was in the land, we were able to fulfill parts of the dream, part of the American dream that Dr. King lived out more than anyone. Having that new vision, that greater vision, means having to be able to deal with some of that discomfort. Frederick Douglass, who was his predecessor by over 50 years and calling for the struggle of justice and moving our nation forward, said, there can be no progress without struggle. We want crops without plowing up the ground. We want rain without the thunder and lightning. We want the ocean without the awful roar of its many waters. As our Buddhist friends tell us, this is sometimes why we suffer a great deal. Because we hold on to what we have and we think it is all we will get. And we do not see that, in fact, there is new life waiting within us and around the corner for us. And we think that the growth we can get sometimes will be without tumult, the real, soulful, spiritual growth. Now, the Buddhist tradition grew out of the Hindu tradition, and I love the image of the goddess Kali. Some of you might know about her. Now, do I actually believe there is a goddess named Kali? No, I don't. But I also know that when we talk about God, we are using symbols and images that help us describe the deepest parts of our reality. And so I love the goddess Kali. Because at the same time, she is the goddess of destruction and the goddess of new creation. Simultaneously, one and the other. As things break down, so they are coming to be in something new as well. You don't get one without the other. But there is a way beyond this struggle that deeper call of peace, that deeper call of new life. When we feel this friction, and maybe some of you are at this point in your life where you're feeling it right now, that's where you start to feel maladjusted. That's where maybe you're taking a look at your job or your life circumstance or the state of your spiritual growth, and you're saying, you know what? What was old doesn't work anymore. And I feel the call of something new, but I don't know what that is yet. You're betwixt and between. That's where that maladjusted thing comes from. It's like that moment when you leave the darkened movie theater and your, light, your eyes can't see and you, you, know, you want to stay blinded. Your, light, your eyes take time to adjust. That is part of listening to new life. But maladjustment is not all of it. It's not the way to new growth. Maladjustment is just, we're going to continue it, sorrow, attachment, addiction, unhealthy relationships, all kinds of things because we seek comfort in things that ultimately can't provide them. This is where the creativity comes in. Creative maladjustment. Creativity is the capacity to feel that friction and listen to it and say simply, because we're feeling some pain, we're not going to shut it down. We're going to listen to that struggle within us that doesn't know what the new thing is yet, even as we've left behind what we know already. 
Creativity allows us to feel the possibility, listen to it, and to make it productive for us. It's that space between the already was and the not yet. Maybe this was like it for you on your first day of college or your first day of school or when you first got married or when you got divorced or when you left a job and started a new one. All these kinds of positions in life that psychologists like to call liminal. It's just a fancy word for between. Listen to the between spaces, is what the poet Rilke called living the questions. He said, you may not know the new answers that you need yet, but live the questions. In time, you will grow into the answers. It's just like this month, January. It's named for the Roman god Janus, who is, of course, two-faced, happy and sad, both and, not either or. And Janus was also the god of doorways, of passageways between old and new, which is why we call it January, as the calendar flips over again and we find our way into a new year. Maybe it was for you the first day of school. Maybe for some of us, as we've seen it in people we love, the last day of their lives. These are, as human beings for us, the sacred passageways that we take from one phase of life to another. The thing is, if we're like the cocoon that Kazanzakis broke open early, we're not quite ready for that new life. We have to learn how to take time and be patient. There are so many spiritual fads. There are so many incomplete answers that we are offered. Last week I talked about in this new year getting six different eHarmony emails the day before I preached. but it was only four yesterday. There are so many invitations to new life. Now, I have no problem with dating services online. It's how I met my wife. But there are so many sources of snake oil out there. And what is worse is that after a time, if these promises fail we will find that we will have become cynical, that we don't believe the capacity for new life is real and we will just stay trapped only in what we know. But Emerson, who really created the term self-reliance, also had another beautiful part to what he talked about. And he said that faith makes us, we don't make it. We are formed in the image of the new life that wants to come to be within us. Now, there are some rules we can use as we go through a process of new life. And the first is this. To be cautious with comfort. Don't seek for comfort prematurely. The guy who worked with us, going back almost two years, almost to the date exactly now, a guy named Tom Bandy who helped us put together our values and our beliefs, he gave us one final warning, which is also a final blessing. He looked at our demographics, he looked at who Wellsprings could become, and he said this, almost his parting shot, don't build a congregation in which people only feel comfortable. If we only feel comfortable, we are not growing. Which is to say, if I'm making you a little uncomfortable with all this talk about new life, good. It's the way it should be. The ancient Hebrew prophets called it this way. They said, be wary of the prophets who call out, peace, peace, where there is no peace. And it's not because they did not believe in peace. It's not because they did not believe in blessing. It's just that there were so many others out there who were able to say, you know what, just take a half portion of the blessing. Just get a little bit, and this will be the complete peace. Don't listen to this discomfort. Don't listen to the pain. And they were saying, you know what, listen. Keep your ears open, keep your eyes open, keep your being open. These are what I like to call 3 a.m. moments. Now, I hope you don't have too many 
3 a.m. moments or dark nights of the soul in your life, but I would guarantee you at some point you're going to have some, even if you know you go to sleep at 9 o'clock and your 3 a.m. moments happen at 8 o'clock at night. The point is that when you have these 3 a.m. moments, don't rush forward and hope that it's midday already. Pay attention to the appointed hour and what you will find there. Because in the 3 a.m. moments, you will find yourself asking questions about your life that you won't at midday, or you won't in the midst of how busy things are. At 3 a.m., you will find these questions coming to rise, and you can start to listen to them. It's like you've gotten a rash, maybe from an illness or an allergy, and you, know, you can scratch that rash, and it'll take away the sting. And you can keep scratching, and keep scratching, and keep scratching, and keep scratching. Eventually, the relief is going to go away. Eventually, you'll just cause more irritation. Or you can take the time to go to a doctor, get the diagnosis, see what's actually going on in your system that's giving rise to the rash in the first place. Probably my favorite story about this is Alfred Nobel. You all know the Nobel Prize? Probably many of you know also that he invented dynamite. That's right, Jake, he did. Now, do you know how he had his 3 a.m. moment? He woke up one day, and just imagine yourself in this situation. He woke up one day, and he was, you know, thrumming through his daily paper, and he saw his own obituary. He saw his obituary for his life prematurely, and clearly he was not dead yet. And he saw these words, the merchant of death is dead. You know, none of you are responsible for dynamite, I don't think, and, you know, you felt that pause go through you. He woke up to these words one day. And at that point, that's where the creative maladjustment comes in. See, because he could have rationalized it. He didn't intend to invent dynamite. He could have said, I didn't mean it. It wasn't my intention. No problem. He could have rationalized it away. But he listened to that soul struggle, that soul struggle that he had. Because at heart, he was a pacifist. He didn't mean to invent something that would kill millions of people. But it did. And so he swore from that place forward, waking up one day that his life would end, even though it hasn't already, and asked himself, what will I make of this life that I have left? And it was from that place that Alfred Nobel decided that he would dedicate his vast fortune to the honoring of peace and justice and creativity, and new invention, and new life. And I think the way that Alfred Nobel got through this is he must have done a little bit of self-talk. You know, when you're going into one of these processes of new life, very often the opportunity comes along and you want to say, I don't like the way this feels. I mean, who likes feeling bad about themselves? Who likes feeling negative about where they are? He could have said, it's all right. I didn't mean to. No problem. He could have said, this doesn't feel good. I'm going to drown it out. But I believe that Alfred Nobel asked himself a deeper and different question, which I would term as this. I think he said to himself, my soul is troubled right now, and I'm going to follow this into new birth and into new life. These are my growth pains. He listened to them. He didn't shut them down. He was able to name it. He was able to say, I will stay here in this place, even if it is uncomfortable, even if it is not so good feeling. And this is how he transformed his life, and this is the gift he was able to give the world out of his place of creative maladjustment. Just this past week, I witnessed a beautiful, beautiful moment of creative maladjustment. 
There's a place called Olivia's House that's in York, Pennsylvania. And it describes itself as a grief and healing center for children. It's a center for loss. It, actually, in the DVD I'm about to show you, it was introduced by Sam Waterston, the actor, from a group called Visionaries, which talks about people who are able to do really amazing ministries and gifts and work with people who are struggling in America right now. And as Sam Waterson introduces it, he says, you know what? We all die. We all have struggles. But for children, children who lose a parent, children who lose a beloved sibling, children who suffer a loss, they can't reason their way out of it. They are just left with their sorrow and their pain. And so Olivia's house is an answer to that. And when I was watching this DVD this past week, it really struck me and it reminded me of when I was, well, more than a kid, but really not a man yet, 22, and on Thanksgiving Day 1992, my mother just dropped dead without any warning or any reason whatsoever. And I got half of it right. I was maladjusted after that. Not the creative part. Not the creative part at all, unfortunately for me and unfortunately for those who were close to me. And there was this one night when I was hanging out with a friend, and the night went on far too long, and frankly, there was far too much liquid refreshment involved in it. And I was really trying to get him to understand, you know, what I was struggling with, what I was suffering with six to seven months later. And finally, I think he just got frustrated with my whining and said, this is life. Just deal with it. Eh. We didn't talk for about a good two years after that point. But I don't think I had any creative way to express what I was feeling. And that's why my heart really went out to these stories that you're about to see at Olivia's house. You're going to see three stories featured right now. Two sisters who lost their 18-year-old sister. And two sisters who lost their dad, and then their mom, and then their grandmother, who was caring for them all in the space of just several years. And one teen who lost his dad. Well, why don't we try and show that?
Thanks, Will. That pounding nails exercise, that is creative maladjustment. <laughs> what the kids are feeling, what the teens are feeling at that point in their lives, is they are maladjusted. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is what happens when we move from one phase of life to another, when we have to say goodbye, when people we love are taken from us. It's part of the difficulty. The creativity comes when we have ways to express that. The creativity comes when we can hold open that opportunity for new life and listen to it, which is also one of the great advantages we have over the cocoon, and the chrysalis and the butterfly. And you can see it in places like Olivia's house. The final truth of our human creative maladjustment is that we are not alone. Only you can make the choice to follow the call of new life wherever it will take you. Only you. No one else can force you to do it. As Frank talked about today, especially in this kind of religious community, we would not force you to do it. You have to enter that path because of your decision and your willingness. But what you will find there, what you will find there, if you take the first step, is that many others have walked the path before you. It requires our effort, yes, but also we will find along the way the grace of others who will carry us. This is why when we talk about faith, too often faith is made into this great big question, do you have faith or don't you? Faith is actually, I think, a verb rather than a noun. Faith is saying we can learn to trust. We can learn to trust the call of new life within each of us and follow it where it wants to take us, knowing that we don't control that process. Anne Lamott is one of my favorite writers. She talks about the role of community and of love and of friendships. She says, This is the most profound spiritual truth I know, that even when we're most sure that love does not conquer all, it seems to anyway. It goes down into that rat hole with us in the form and the guise of friends, and there it swells, and there it comforts. It gives us second winds, third winds, a hundredth winds. It gives us inspiration. That's what inspiration means, literally. The deep breath. We are inspirited by those who love us. We are inspirited by those who support us. And from it we find the creativity to not get closed down or closed off or just closed to ourselves. We can realize that this is great spiritual wisdom as well. That we do not need to rationalize and we don't need to hide. We can face honestly who we are, whether it's in the new year or any time of year. And we can remain committed to listening. Listening to our lives. Not cutting off the conversation because we can't control the conversation. But remaining committed to hearing. And we can know that there is another side to the soul struggle. That just as the ancient prophets called forth, there can be peace for us as well. Not partially, not fully. On the other side of that struggle, there is new life. It is there, and it is waiting for all of us. Amen. May you live in blessing. Thanks for listening to this message from Wellsprings Congregation. If you'd like to find out more about us, you can reach us at wellspringsuu.org. Mm-hmm.